Good to see each of you here this morning. You know, it's amusing when people my children's age talk about the things that they can't do that they used to be able to do. And I thought, Andrew, just enjoy what you got while you got it. <laughs> no, that's... Uh, And I found out something else. Sometimes an omission can uh, work out for good. I didn't want to say forgetfulness because I'm talking about my wife. But when we got ready to leave for Sunday school, she said, hey, I need something out of the van that I left in there between Sunday school and church. And I thought, I better get it so I don't forget it after Sunday school. So I went out to get it, and don't you know, somebody looking for this church building was driving right past the end of the walkway when I went out because these smart devices were directing her when she was coming from the south to come in by way of Interstate 66 for some reason. And uh, so uh, God uses things that we omit sometimes as a blessing. And uh, so we are glad you're here. I don't remember when this church started or what it looked like. But I remember when we came here, how long ago has it been? Uh, 13 years ago? What was it, about... 30-some on a Sunday morning? More than that? Okay. Not a whole lot. <laughs> but you all probably remember when it was in the 20s. Uh, so it is good to have you here this morning. And I don't understand how God works in everything. If you do, I'd like to talk to you after church. Because I thought what I was supposed to preach on this morning was something I hadn't used here or at least over 10 years ago. Uh, it might be familiar to some of you, at least some of the things I say this morning. Um, but as I realized what we looked at in our Sunday school lesson, and I didn't look at my Sunday school lesson before I prepared for this, uh, I think there's a connection because we look at the difficulties in life as a negative too many times. And scripture points to those as maybe some positives. And we want to look at some of those this morning. I want to start out in Romans 12 this morning. I don't plan to make a lot of comments here. But as we read through here, there's a few things I want to pick out. And then I want to go to an Old Testament passage. And... Um, See what is for us there. One of the things that directed me this way, we read in a devotional this week about the salt that Christians are to be and how that salt is being lost. Um, and uh, part of it was from verse 2 where it talks about being squeezed into the mold of the world instead of being that salt that the world needs. That's not the focus of the message this morning, but that was what got me started this way. 
Romans 12, starting at verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given to me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. And I'm going to skip this next passage. It goes into the various gifts that God has given to the body, the church, his body. And um, I'm not saying they're not important. That's not why I'm skipping over them, but it's not in direct relation to what I'm planning to use this morning. Drop down to um, verse 9. Let love be without dissimulation. Let love be genuine. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another. We'll stop there just a little bit. That would correct most of the conflict of mankind if we lived that way. Genuine love. Abhorring evil, cleaving to good, kindly affection one to another with brotherly love, and then preferring one another. Now, maybe before I read further, I'll just say probably the reason God directs me to some of these things is because I need it, maybe worse than anybody. Um, in um, living life, and by the way, that is what I have at the top of my notes, living life. Verse 11, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. I wish I could remember back to some of the things from last Sunday's Sunday school lesson in the intermediate class because it went down through some of these things in the last part of that reading.
Proverbs 25, 27 says this, It is good, it is not good to eat much honey. Why not? Why isn't it good to eat a bunch of honey? Or much honey? Um, brings back some memories from home. We had honeybees and we just loved to eat honey in the honeycomb. And we also loved to catch that honey up on the stove that was oozing out of the honeycomb. But I think probably if you eat too much honey, you get sick. The next part of that verse caught my attention. For so men, so for men to search their own glory is not glory. It's not good either. Not good for you. Another version puts it, nor is it honorable to seek one's own honor. I want to read now from Ecclesiastes 7. And I wanted to start down in the uh, chapter a little further. But some things in the early part of this chapter caught my attention. And I want to go through some of these things verse by verse just a little bit. Don't have any points per se, but things that teach us in life. And some of these go from one to another to another pretty quickly. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 1. A good name is better than precious ointment and the day of death than the day of one's birth. You ever think about it being better to die than to be born? You know, we talked about the difficulties that uh, Jeremiah was talking about in Lamentations. And we shy away from difficulties, right? All right, notice what it says in verse 2. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For that is the end of all men, and the living will lay it to his heart. I got thinking, you know, maybe there's a reason that people flock to viewings after, at, uh, before funerals. You notice what he says here? It's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. Because we're all going that way. Reminds me of a little discussion we had over at Pat's garage yesterday. Uh, how was it? Somebody told me if I eat, you know, that people that eat tomatoes die. Or something to that effect. And I said, yeah, and people that don't eat tomatoes die. And people that get out of bed in the morning die. People that lay in bed all day or lie in bed all day die too. Because that's the end of everybody. Somebody said one time, last he checked, one out of one die. And that's the way it's going to be until Christ comes back. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting because that is the end of everybody, of all men. And those of us that are here will take it to heart. We'll learn from it. Good to go there. All right, verse 3. Sorrow is better than laughter. 
For by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. Don't sound very good to this whole human body. Sadness, sorrow, is better than laughter. Because by sadness, the countenance of the heart is made better. Verse 4, the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. This also is vanity. Now, just to bring a wee bit of balance here, uh, Scripture does talk about a merry heart being good like medicine. Uh, and so I'm not here promoting that we've got to go around with a long face. Neither do I think it's right to be uh, all laughter and whatever you want to call it, a little bit like I get sometimes. Um, Verse 7, for surely, surely oppression maketh a wise man mad, and a gift destroyeth the heart. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Better is the end of something than the beginning of it. And I can attest to that wholeheartedly. The beginning of it, there is a lot of times dread attached to it. Um, you could name a few things. We're in the process of trying to build a building. And um, the beginning of it's going to be much better. I'm, the end of it, I think, will be much better than the beginning. Uh, we haven't gotten there yet. But... Um, been a lot of um, I'm not trying not sure what word to use but anyhow a lot of um, unsettledness um, in the beginning and working through some of these things better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof verse 9 be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry for anger resteth in the bosom of fools. Verse 10. Say not thou, what is the cause that the former days were better than these? For thou dost not inquire wisely concerning this. Not sure I ever noticed that verse before. In my lifetime, I've heard a lot about the good old days. But, you know, sometimes when I look back, I really wonder what was so good about those old days. When I think back to the life of my parents, and yes, they, would have, they were older than most parents. Um, just thought about it coming up the road today. I have a son that is as old as my dad was when I was born. And uh, it puts things in a little bit of a different perspective. Um, but when I think back to their life, 
They lived through the depression. They lived through the dust uh, storms. They lived through terrible times. Yet sometimes we refer to them as the good old days. Now I'm not sure what um, the writer here was, um, why it was an unwise inquiry was because of his focus on looking back or what the reason for his focus or if it was just unwise to look back. But when I look back to my parents' time, my grandparents' time, I see a lot of things there that aren't very good about those old days. And I see things now and I think, well, these things are not very good. But when I look back, there's not as big a difference as I'd like to think there was. Grandpa, my grandpa, was one in his family that chose God. And it had an effect. My dad chose a different path than most of his siblings. My mother doesn't fit in with her family as far as what she appeared like and what she did and the things she promoted. Say not thou, what is the cause that the former days were better than these? For thou dost not inquire wisely concerning this. I'll just leave that where it is now. Verse 11, wisdom is good with an inheritance. And by it there is profit to them that see the sun. Wisdom is good with an inheritance. Now my center reference for that one says, is as good as an inheritance, yea, better also. Better too. But I wonder if maybe it might go a little deeper than that yet. Wisdom is good with an inheritance. Parents, as you go down that road of godly wisdom, there's an inheritance involved. You've heard the saying that the only thing you can take to heaven with you is your children. There's an inheritance involved. Yes, they have their choices to make, but as you teach your children, there is an inheritance involved. Verse 12, for wisdom is a defense, and money is a defense, but the excellency of knowledge is that wisdom giveth life to them that have it. Didn't dig too deep on this defense. My center reference says wisdom is a shadow. And I didn't check to see if this, the same word is used for money as it is for wisdom. But the excellency of knowledge is that wisdom gives life. When you put wisdom to practice, it gives life. Verse 13, consider the work of God, for who can make that straight which he hath made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. But in the day of adversity, consider. God also hath set the one over against the other to the end that man should find nothing after him. What God makes crooked, 
you can't make straight. I thought about it in, in, in respect to weather. Yes, I'm glad I'm not in Louisiana this morning. But God dictates where that storm is coming. Man can't change that. I watched the weather. I thought about it last evening. If I would have watched the clouds too much, I wouldn't have mowed my grass. Because there was rain right there. There was rain right there. And I thought, well, I won't get but half done. Well, the Bible talks about those that watch the weather don't plant. And so I got out and mowed grass. And when I was pulling into the shed, the drop started to fall. So uh, I got my grass mowed. But God could have rained me out. And I couldn't have done anything about it. That which God makes straight. I'm sorry. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? God sets the good and the bad together. Because you can't do anything about it. That man should find nothing after him. God is in control. And the quicker I recognize that, the better life's going to be. Verse 15. Now I think this is where I initially planned to start, but there was so much in those first ones that I thought pertained to living life that I didn't want to miss it. Verse 15, all things have I seen in the days of my vanity. There is a just man that perisheth in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man that prolongeth his life in his wickedness. I don't understand that, okay? I'll just admit that. But when I look at what is written earlier in here, I think those things are to teach us that God is in control. You know, we don't understand when somebody's vibrant life is cut short and when somebody that's living a wicked life lives on. Verse 16, be not righteous over much. Ooh, that don't sound very good, does it? You know, you've heard the statement... Uh, well, I can't get it, so I won't go there. Verse 16, Be not righteous over much, neither make thyself overwise. Why shouldest thou destroy thyself? So what's he talking about when he says, Don't be too righteous. Don't be too wise. Does that mean you're not supposed to work at being righteous, to work at being wise? I think it has to do with more my projection of who I am. Am I projecting myself as somebody that's high and holy and lofty? Somebody that's got it all together? I think that's what it's talking about. I need to be careful that I don't make too much of what I claim to be. Um, goes back to that one verse there in, uh, I can't pull it up now, that I read there in Romans. Uh, 
um, verse 3. For I say through the grace of God, grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Be careful. Yes, be righteous. But don't try to... to um, I was about ready to use a word, and I don't think it was the right word to use. Um, don't try to display how righteous you are, but yet live it out. Verse 17, Be not overmuch wicked, neither be thou foolish. Why shouldest thou die before thy time? Oh, and I see people do things that I think, well, they are doing things that are plain ridiculous. And one of them I think about is rock climbing. I, I don't understand that. I'm sorry. And people go and rock climb. And I'm sorry, I don't know, maybe you do rock climb and maybe you just it's just the thrill of your life. But I cannot understand somebody that goes out here and tries to climb rocks that aren't meant to be climbed and then get stuck out there and expect somebody else to risk their life to go get them. And I thought about that. And I'm not, I hope I'm not taking this out of context. Neither be thou foolish. Why shouldst thou die before that time? You know, because if you fall off of there, the likelihood that you're going to survive it are slim and none. Verse 18, it is good that thou shouldest take hold of this. Yea, also from this withdraw not thine hand. For he that feareth God shall come forth of them all. As you live life, difficulties are going to come. Good times are going to come. You might receive things that you think you shouldn't receive. You might, no, you will receive things that you shouldn't receive. You will receive things that you don't think you deserve. He that feareth God shall come forth of them all. We've got to put our trust in God. He's in control anyhow. And yes, I know that was another message here the other Sunday. Um, verse 19. Wisdom strengtheneth the wise more than ten mighty men which are in the city. For there is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Also, take no heed unto all words that are spoken, lest thou hear thy servant curse thee. I'm not sure what all that's saying. But I'll tell you what it said to me. I have walked up and heard three words in a conversation, and I have entered into a conversation that I know nothing about. And I have heard three words or maybe five words of a conversation and I thought somebody was being cruel. I didn't know what I was talking about. Take no heed unto all words 
that are spoken, lest thou hear thy servant curse thee. Maybe in, in my th thought process, uh, maybe you better take heed to all of the conversation so that you know what's being said rather than you feel like somebody is saying something improper. I'm going to skip over here again, not because this isn't important. Skip over these next few verses. Verse 29. Lo, this only have I found that God hath made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions. God didn't make a mistake when he made you. God didn't make a mistake when he made me. But I have frustrated some of the reasons God made me in my life. I've sought out many inventions that were not what God intended for me. Now some of these things I'm going to say now as we get maybe a little more practical. Uh, some of you have heard me say them before. But I want you to think about them again. Why do we do what we do, when we do it, the way we do it, and all that kind of thing? And I still find myself doing these things. And some of these things I wrote down 10 years ago, and I still haven't learned them like I should. Um, I was coming down the road the other day, talking to my son. No, I wasn't holding my phone. And... I had to slam on, the, on my brakes to keep from hitting someone because they turned in front of me. Well, my son heard the horn blowing, and it wasn't a friendly horn toot, okay? Because I was a little upset that that person cut me off. There's plenty of time for him to wait without in, impeding the traffic that he was going with without cutting in front of me like that. All right. Why do people pass you at a great speed only to slow down after they pass you? Or, no, you don't do that kind of thing. Okay. But people do it. Why do people pull out in front of you only to turn off a half a block down the road? Why do people change lanes in a traffic jam? I remember, and it's been 20-some years ago, maybe longer than that, probably 20-some years ago, coming around the Beltway around Washington, D.C., in a traffic jam. And there was a vehicle that was very noticeable, I don't remember what kind it was. I don't remember if it was the color or what. But, you know, we passed that vehicle 13 times coming around the Beltway, and we never changed lanes. But they did. I'll tell you, if you're one of those, it don't get you ahead. And a lot of times when you pass somebody to get ahead of them, that traffic light up there is going to even things out and you're going to be right back together again. 
Why do people get in the lane that has the fewest cars in it at a traffic light? You know, I found out that a lot of times if you get behind a tractor trailer to traffic light, you're getting out of there quicker than if you get behind the lane that has three cars in it. Because that tractor trailer is going to move 70 feet of traffic out of your way while you've got three 20-foot pieces moving out of the way over here. And the one in the middle is going to be on their phone, and there's going to be a big space. So, yeah, anyhow. Why do people try to pass on the shoulder in a traffic jam? Or why do people stay in a lane when everyone has, else has merged? Or why do people pass only to exit on a ramp that's already started? And it happens. You're going down the road and this car comes up, the exit started here, and this vehicle comes up and comes off and goes all the way over to the exit. Or why do people stop and make a left turn in a travel lane when there is a left turn lane? And I thought about that yesterday. No, I'm sorry, Friday. Because I was needing to make a left turn. The left turn lane was used by both directions. The traffic light was real close. People coming towards me were using the lane way back up ahead, and I couldn't get over. But I thought about that. Here I was violating what gets me stirred up. Why do I get upset when these things happen? You know, I... I need to realize that when I get upset about those things, those people that are doing that are controlling me. All right. Some of you maybe don't drive as much. So why do people quicken their steps and look the other way to get in the checkout line before somebody approaching from the other direction? You know, somebody's coming there and they have a cart full and I've got five items and I'm coming this way and I'll look this way and keep on walking quickly so I get there before they do. Why? Why does what others do affect the way I do things? I need to do what's right regardless. You need to do what's right regardless. When there's something to be done and there's a different there are different ideas about how to do it, why do I insist or do I insist that it be done my way? If it's done another way, why do I still insist that my way was the best? Yeah, we did it your way, but this would have been a better way. Uh, if it's done another way, do I participate or do I stay away because it was not done my way? Some may even barge ahead without considering how it may affect others. I'm going to do it my way regardless. Don't make any difference what effect it has on somebody else. 
You know, I better be careful what I say here this morning. We're planning to put a building up this week. And uh, I need to, to live this out. And Satan's will probably do his job to try to make it, make me not live it out. No. Because the devil can't make me not do something or do something. It's still my choice. You've probably heard this statement, if you won't play my way, I'm going to take my ball and go home. And I'll just stop here and say I was glad the way you all played together Friday night. It was a blessing. Now let's flip the switch a little bit. Why do I want others to go first? Why do I want others to go first? Why do I want to be last? That's scriptural, right? In honor preferring one another, you first, I'll go last. But why do I do that? I could do it because I want John to think well of me because I let everybody else go first. It's pride. Philippians 2.3 says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Why I do things tells more about who I am than the things I have. Why I do things. And sometimes it's not real obvious why I'm doing things. You might not know why I'm doing it, but God does. First Corinthians 10:33, and I'll stop with this. Even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. These same thoughts can be there even if I am approached properly. Who does he think he is? Can't he see how he is in this area, in that area? Let's have a song, please.